1: David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, shall there come on you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the ends of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. When the angel stretched out his hands to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, "'Enough, withdraw your hand.' The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, "'I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong. But these these are but sheep. What have they done?' Let your hand fall on me and my family. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up, as the Lord had commanded through Gad. Amen.
2: Uh, Good morning. And before we begin our sermon today, I'd like to spend some time lamenting as a church. I don't think we lament enough. Um, lament is generally a um, prayer, a language of suffering, and it recognizes the struggle in life and it cries out to God for justice. Unlike prayer of confession that we did earlier in the service where you admit your own flaw- flaws and faults, a prayer of lament is more of a complaint to God. It's where we boldly are allowed to come before him and to cry out to him and say, actually, where we are at. Uh, Jesus himself felt like he could do that when he quoted David, who did that in the Psalms, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Essentially saying, God, where are you in all this? What's going on here? Lamenting is an important type of prayer. It's all in throughout the Bible. There's a whole book of the Bible, right? Lamentations, which are laments. It's in Job. It's in the Psalms. It's... Uh, it's in Ecclesiastes, uh, and um, here at Lincoln Square, again, we don't do it enough, but we're trying to strengthen our prayer lives, 90 for 9, uh, how we do what we do on Sundays, and this is another uh, way to do this, not just as an individual, um, but we want to do this as a body, as a, as a group, as we're seeking to, after a year of being away from each other, to, to re-gel and re-be the, the people of God together. So with that, can you please stand And I'm going to lead us in a time of of lament today. It's appropriate uh, after the week we've had. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that both as a church and as individuals, we have not come to you with regularity, with a posture of lament. And in not doing so, we've missed opportunities of intimacy with you. For you are our loving Father, and you care how we feel and how we experience sorrow and pain and injustice. Therefore, give us hearts that care to lament to you about them, even if we ourselves aren't experiencing direct injustice or sorrow personally right now. But Father, we come to you specifically today with a very particular ment on behalf of of those who are experiencing direct pain, violence, hurt, and grief. We are confused and angered by the overall astronomical increases in crimes against Asian and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters. While the sin of racism and its expression through horrible actions has been woven through our country's story, This past year, both in our city and in America in general, our Asian American brothers and sisters, images of God, they've been spat on, they've been chased, they've been screamed at, insulted, cursed, shoved, physically assaulted and killed. Father, we come to you with heavy hearts. We cry out to you for your help and healing, for compassion and care, for your justice to be realized not only in the days to come, but we need it and we want it now in this day and in this world. So, Father, we grieve the news of another shooting in Atlanta. They were precious people in your sight. They had families and gifts and talents, they had fears and dreams. They were perfectly and wonderfully made. And we lost their voices and their stories ended too soon. And so we grieve and we lament the loss of their lives. Lord, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, members in this church, I've heard their stories over the past year, Father. Why have you allowed our culture to be a place where hidden bias takes root and grows into overt violence? Why have you allowed the dehumanization of your image bearers based on color of their skin, their physical features, or their culture? Many brothers and sisters today are feeling the psalmist's words: "How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me?" If today, if anybody in this room or that live stream, we're not feeling that way, Father, may we come along. Side our fellow image bearers and weep with those who weep. We have a church as a church, we lament where we haven't. Aren't you a God who says that He is close to the brokenhearted? Aren't you a God who experienced injustice so that in and through you all things could be made right? And yet, for many. Asian Americans, Father, it feels like this is too much. And so, in this area of brokenness, we ask that your glory be revealed. Allow justice to roll down like rushing waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Father, I don't want my sister who goes to this church to be asked if she eats her dog. I don't want her son to be chased down in the streets. I don't want my brothers to be screamed to go home when this is their home. (laughs) I don't want fellow images of God to be othered, demeaned, or devalued. Father, I feel helpless in so many ways. Fix our society and our cities so that Asian Americans can experience not only healing, but flourishing here. Open the eyes of the perpetrators, be it conscious or unconscious. That they, may be, they might experience the transformational grace of forgiveness. That they might come to repent and be moved out to he- heal the brokenness. For both are made in your image, and you love them both. And finally, Father, forgive us as a body for ways known and unknown that we might have contributed Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us hearts to love. Give us hands to heal. Enliven your church and your people. We pray all this in your name. The one who came to wipe away all the sorrows and bring joyous union and reconciliation among the peoples on this earth. Jesus Christ. Amen. You, might be, you may be seated. Sorry. Whew. And now all we get to go into our sermon. this doesn't just end with a lament. Okay. Well, good morning and welcome again to Redeemer. (laughs) It's a weird way to start. This is our second uh, week live, and it is good to see you. It is good to pray with you. That would have been a lot worse if we were just doing this via live stream. I know for a lot of you who are live streaming... um, You're unable or or, or can't make it. We're still glad you're with us. And we're also glad for everybody else who um, have been able to come out. Um, Thank you for your patience as we're trying to get back in the space. We're trying to figure out how to do this well, to do it safely, but to do it where we're actually able to worship and come together. Today is our last sermon in our series on the life of David. And we've we've been looking at David because we've been trying to look at his life to understand our lives. We spent a year distant we're still distancing and we're really asking the elemental questions of what does it mean to be human we need that clearly as we're seeing the fraying happening culturally but it's actually happening with us it's happening in our church too and so we've been we've been looking at david we're getting to the this is the last day we're going to talk about him um in our series and so we're looking at the very last story told by samuel about david And what's so interesting about this story is, you know, normally a story is like, you know, here's David when he was a boy, he's a shepherd, and now here's David when he dies. And in fact, the story doesn't end with him dying. It's interesting that the the writer of Samuel decides to end with this particular story. No offense, but I don't know, at at least at the onset, why is it so important to end with a story about a census? Why is that so important? what's the big deal? Because, no offense, I don't know anybody who gets excited about filling out surveys. I don't know anybody that thinks it's that traumatic or that big of a deal either. And so I think we have to ask this question this morning, why is this here at this place, and why should we look at it and spend our time on it? Uh, I think the text shows us three things. The idolatry of worldly power, the power of repentance, and the power in its proper place. The idolatry of worldly power, the power of repentance, and the power and then power in its proper place. So first the idolatry of worldly power. Our text is is not very helpful in telling us why David was conscious stricken. It says this in verse ten. Right? This looks like, okay, here I am. But it says it says he counted fighting men. Now here's the here's the truth. The problem wasn't that he counted. You want to know how I know that? Because the whole book of Numbers is people counting. It's a bunch of sentences, So there's nothing in and of itself biblically wrong to count. Um, So the question is, is why is God angry then for this one? And even more interesting, why does David know God should be angry at him? It would be one thing if God's angry and David's like, hey, why are you doing this? No, he's like, no, I know I'm wrong. So what's the problem? Well... um, As I note, it's not in our text, but there is a parallel passage. The same event happens in, I think, in 1 Chronicles 20. And in that passage, this census happens after a series of victories that have brought peace in the land. As you know, David is a pretty good military mind. He knows how to win. But I don't know if you know this, but the army of Israel was only allowed to be conscripted in defense of their land. When they were being oppressed, they were never supposed to go on the offensive. And so all the battles that had happened was to protect their land, but now David is counting from 1, Chron- 1 Chronicles 20 so that he can go on the offensive. And so the reason why you size up your army is because you want to know hey, can I beat that army over there? Can I go after them? In other words, counting on its own wasn't the problem. It was David's pride and ambition and motivation under the counting that led to this entire nation to being just like all the other nations out there that war against each other. But the Israelites were supposed to be different, were they not? Genesis 12, Abraham's, Abraham that was going to turn into the people of Israel, he's told, I am going to bless you. But then he's also told you will be a blessing. Were these people going to be able to be a blessing if they were raging war against others? Does counting people so that you know if you have enough to invade another nation, does that bring harmony and shalom and love? It does not. And therefore the judgment of David and the judgment on the people who were part of this, it wasn't actually an act of violence by God. By the way, this, and this is actually, modern people first read this and go, wait, that's not fair that God does this. But what God is doing, I think we're actually understanding this as we're getting more of a social consciousness, is that what God was doing is he was trying to prevent violence. See, I think in the years past, people would say, that's not fair. Why is God killing people because of a survey? But now we go, oh, our, lo- our larger social consciousness now knows that, wait, if that census was going to be used to do violence against others, then God, yes, he should do something to stop that violence. I think if you're an individualist, you're kind of like, well, it's not fair that the country suffers because of David. But again, I, I, just even this past couple of years in, um, societally, we're realizing, wait, if David and the whole country is going to go bring about more suffering to other nations, then the consequences isn't going to just affect David. It's going to fa- affect the whole country as well. So that's, the, that's what's going on here. Now, a lot of us, let me point this out. We go, oh, okay, that's interesting, Mike. That, that makes a little more sense about why God, is, it, you know, comes out with these consequences and tries to stop these people from doing more violence to other people. But isn't it interesting, a lot of times when we read something in the Bible, we go, this doesn't make any sense. How many times do we want to judge God for his judgments? How many times is it that, we, that when we look in the text and we're like, why is God doing that? Well, this doesn't make any sense, and I'm out. I've talked to a lot of people who they point to passages in the Bible and say, see this? I can't believe in a God who does this. But if God is God, is it possible? Is it possible that he might know something that we don't? Is it possible that we might not know the reasons for the hurt, but it doesn't mean that there isn't a reason? And I'm going to try to sum up the problem of evil. In I actually think the problem of evil actually sums down to really a goodness of God question. Is it possible that God can actually be good? Like, do we believe that God is good? Because then, when we, when we do, when we trust that, that maybe God has an answer for something that we, we might never get or understand the answer for, is that possible for us? Just because we can't see a good reason for something to happen doesn't mean there isn't a good reason. And I think that's really hard for us because we want to know. And so my question is, before we even go further and get to seeing David's reaction what will it take for us to even get to that place where David's at? To be conscious stricken versus offended. Because I think our first inclination is to go to offense. So my point is, before we can even get to David's response, before we can accept the circumstances, we have to trust the one behind the circumstances. And you know what? I don't know if we do. I don't know if that's how we live our life. So ask yourself that first question. Can you even get to the place where we might actually trust the judge instead of laying our own judgments on him now um look at the three consequences in verse 13 there's three years of famine three uh days of plague or uh, sorry three years of famine three months of fleeing from your enemies or three days of plague um but look what all three of these things do the first primarily destroys your economy right famine The second primarily primarily destroys your military might when you're on the run from another army. And the third, as we know, that a plague frays at and destroys the fabric of your culture. In other words, the very thing David was trying to do was he was trying to build his power, prestige, and production economically, militarily, and socially, and God tears them down. It's almost as if God is saying, oh, you think that's what you need. You think that's what's going to bring you happiness and joy and comfort. But it's, it's not, and therefore it's my job to show you and help you. And it's a, it's a desperate effort to show you that these things, as good as they are, have become too important in your life. They've become idols in your life. If you're not familiar about this, it, at Lincoln Square, a crude understanding of what we mean by idols is that it's, it's not Usually bad things, it's usually a good thing that we've made ultimate. So in David's case, success to be on top economically and militarily and societally, each one is stripped because even though they were good things, David and the people were looking to them more than God for their trust. So here's a quick easy application for us, right? What is the economic success that you and I are looking to instead of to him? Right? What's the chariots? What's the army? What's the, I guess it's political, right? What's the political success that we're looking to, that we're hoping in instead of him? When David was winning, there's comfort in winning. What are the wins that you're looking for? What are the comforts that you are looking to instead of to him? David was wildly popular. He had people's approval. What's the approval that you're looking to from others that you feel like, if I just had him or her or them then I'll be all right. See, power, approval, comfort, control, those are generally the idols of our hearts. And David wanted the senses to have these things. And so it's almost like, it's almost like, here, here's where I, it applies to myself. It's like, I love you, God, I do, I do. I just need this thing over here too. I do love you, but I need that. Which then the whole begs the question, do you really, have you really put him first? And an idol is where you haven't. You've put other things that have been more important. And so the question is, is will it dawn on us today the areas of our life that we still haven't given to him? Will it dawn on us? Where have we not let him be Lord of our lives? Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, because we don't trust him, we can't even begin to work on the issues of our society. We can't even begin to start if we haven't looked at the problems that are in our own hearts. Because they're going to shortchange us. They're going to stop us. In fact, we're seeing that in live action. And so the question is, is where, 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 where are we on this? That's the first thing.
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10:30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at Lincoln Square Dot redeemercom dot youtube.
2: Now secondly, the power of repentance. Before we move on to David's prayer, you, we have to set the stage. and we, you know, we've been looking at this series looking at Saul and David. Have you actually ever wondered and I, 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 it's been bugging me Saul messes up. It, you know, he apologizes, and his kingdom's taken away from him. David messes up, which we've seen some pretty big mess-ups. He apologizes, and God's kingdom is established eternally through him. Has that ever bothered you? I mean, it looks like on, the, on paper, Saul makes a mistake. He apologizes. He, he, he's, he's out. But David, he's in. What's the difference? Um, and I think, I think this is actually, in some ways, the, the, sort of the question that we should ask throughout our whole lives. Because I think what you'll find is the world, at least, at least from a Christian view, is the world's not split down the middle between good people and bad people. Right? It's all flawed people. Saul's flawed. David's flawed. I was reading the New York Times um, this past week, and there's an article in it called My Year of Grief and Cancellation. Interesting article about a woman who set up a blog to, in her words, publicly shame and knock people off their pedestals. And she's reflecting on, after she stopped doing this, six years later, she's talking about it, and she says this. For years I've regretted the spotlight I put on other people's mistakes, as if one day I wouldn't make plenty of my own. I know what we all should know by now, which is that no one has a spotless record. I I just find that fascinating that she, it it took her time, but she got around to like, oh my goodness, if I just... Took the razor edge I'm applying to others and put it myself. We're all flawed. That's her point. And so the divide between Saul and David, what is it? And I think the biblical answer is this. Repentance. The power of real repentance. A careful study of Saul's actions shows you remorse, but not repentance. Because remorse is sorry for the consequence of sin, not the sin itself. Right? It's sorry not for the actions, but it's, it's, well, sorry. Remorse is sorry for the actions itself. Repentance is not sorry for just the actions, but for the, even the reasons and motivations under those actions. Look at Pharaoh um, in the book of Exodus. It always talks about how Pharaoh hardened his heart. Why does he harden his heart? Well, it, it, you, can, you can watch it in, in live if, if you read it. He's shown a plague. He's remorseful. Okay, 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 I'll let your people go. And then when the plague goes away, he's like, oh yeah, um, okay, uh, back, come back, everybody, let's do this over again. Because why? He's upset, and he's, this is what's so difficult, is actually remorsefulness, I think in, in our hearts, feels like repentance when it's really not. So he said, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, okay, I'll, you guys can go. No, actually, he, no, you can't. Because he was sad for the consequence, but not sad for the reason the consequence was there in the first place. So this is where Saul and Pharaoh over here and David are different. And I guess I want to ask you before we go on, which one are you? Do you, as I worry, and I look at my, as I look into my own heart, how much is that really repentance? And how much is it just really sorry for this, you know, for the action, for the, okay. But not really conscious stricken. See, look at David. Go back to his process. First thing, he's conscious stricken. Second thing, he admits. He says, I have sinned greatly. I have done a very foolish thing. Side point, notice he doesn't give any context, which is always my inclination. But but you don't understand. I was trying to build up the kingdom, and I was trying to make Israel great, and I was trying to win more victories. No, he just owns it. In fact, that's what Saul did. If you look at Saul, he, he he always has a reason. David doesn't do that. He just owns it. He sits in it, and he takes it. So go back to our first point. If idols, if we use idols to get power, we use them to feel better about ourselves. Repentance, another definition of repentance is depowering those idols in our life. And if you don't repent, you actually don't, you're still holding on to your power. You're holding on to approval power. You're holding on to comfort power. You're holding on to success power. So the difference between Saul and David is that, they're still, that that Saul's still holding on to his power, whereas David wasn't. They're both flawed. They're both really, really flawed. But only David says, I have sinned. Friends, if you say you believe in Jesus, but essentially go about your day unable to admit where you're wrong, unable to confess your idols, that are ruling your life, unable to see how your identity and your happiness are wrapped up in these things. Ultimately, you can't and you won't give these things up. If you're sitting here, I was thinking about this, if you're sitting here going, oh man, there's somebody else that I know that needs to hear this, that's not it. You're missing the power of repentance what we're trying to say i guess what we're trying to say is what we do in confession every week the reason why you should come to church one of the reasons why is cuz we're giving you a moment where you can actually be honest and not just honest with you know when we do it the, the confession together sometimes we give you the words cuz sometimes we don't know the words to use but the private confessions where you can actually say here's who i really am and guess what happens when you can do that freedom there's freedom in honesty Repentance frees you. Repentance re-centers you. Repentance remakes you. Why? Because when you do, and only when you do, do you lay yourself open to the mercy and grace of God. See, notice in David's choice. Guess what he picks out of the three consequences? He picks in verse fourteen the one that the Lord controls. Why? He's a smart cookie. He he knows that the Lord can actually relent, and he does. The Lord is gracious time and time again he surprises us when god has every right the way to stop the violence in the world is to stop us and yet he gives us grace this is what's always boggles my mind i walk you know i lived in new york most of my life and people go oh i love the idea of a loving god i love the idea of a gracious god but you don't know how loving and how gracious he is unless you experience that grace through knowing your own need and you don't know your need unless you see your problems, you don't see your problems. and Until you see your problems, you can't repent. You don't need it if you don't see it. And you can't, if you can't see it, you won't repent. So let me give you a test. This is just a side. I was just thinking about this this week. There's so many tests of like looking inwardly, but here's one that's maybe helpful for those of you who have a hard time doing the introspection. Do you put yourself around other people who are accomplished and confident and secure? Do you seek those people out, or do you seek purposely out people who might know their weaknesses, who maybe are the first to repent, the first not to make excuses, the first to confess their blindness? They might not have accomplished much in life, to be honest, but they know themselves, and they live their lives based on grace. Do you put yourself around them because you want, to, you want that to rub off on you or not? It, it, when I thought of that, I was like, yeah, I, it, was, it was a convicting thought. See the power of repentance. Last point. Power in its proper place. If this is how power comes through repentance. The last picture we have of David here, he's trusting God, right? In his shame, in his flaws. And the question is, is will we do the same? I don't know. There's been, this past week, there's been a lot of deep distress. Valid anger, valid frustration, valid hurt. But despite the afflictions, do I trust him? In fact, what I, what I, there's a little voice in my head that goes, how, how do I know I can trust him? How do I know he'll be merciful? Despite all that I know that goes on out there and goes on actually in here, there's righteous and unrighteous anger, right? Intermixed. How do you pull it apart? How do you know which one's right, which one's wrong? It's all there. The writer of this book ends the story of David because the geographical site where David builds the altar here, which I had to look this up, in verse 18, the place where he offers the sacrifice is the exact location where the temple is going to be built. The very temple that God doesn't let David do or build it himself. But it's the place God's going to meet his people, not because of David's achievements, but because it's the location where David is forgiven. In other words, it's not from what David did for God. It's what God did for David. And interestingly, even more interestingly, this is the very spot where God stops Abraham from sacrificing his son. And instead sacrifices a ram. And so this is going to be the spot where the temple, all the future animal sacrifices are going to be offered. Which, of course, the the whole sacrificial system points to the need for a, a substitute. And yet, I think we know now on this side, a substitute, a sacrifice is never going to be enough, is it? Right? Because think about it. When you say sorry to somebody, you know what you're doing? That's actually a little bit of, that's a mini sacrifice. Sorry. When I punched my brother in the face, sorry. Is that enough? Not, my, my brother doesn't think so. Right? When civilizations have enslaved other civilizations, guess what? Saying sorry is not enough. It doesn't actually, it's not actually enough payment when there's violence and murder and words and actions, when they descend on us like they have to our Asian American brothers and sisters, sorry is not enough. Where's the payment? Where's the fix? This text is like a honing beacon, flashing in the night, pointing forward, not just to the temple, not just to the sacrificial system, but to what all that points to the need for, which is God himself to enter into creation, to right the wrongs of this world. And probably the, the 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 thing that's buried in this text the most that's actually the most powerful is this. While this this God is weeping while this is all happening, you go where I don't see that in the text. Well, in verse sixteen it says God relented. There are some English translations that says God grieved, and in that Hebrew term, grieving, is this con, is this, is this sense of weeping of crying. And I, I've been this whole week. I've been like, why is God crying? And look at what happens in verse 16. He sees the, the angel, hand stretched out, sword is coming down, and he starts weeping. And I think the reason why is because God knew the location that they were in right there. That this was the very spot where God said to Abraham, stay your hand, stay your sword. Now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your, your only son. The reason why the sword doesn't come down on Abraham's son the reason why the sword doesn't come down on these people in this text, the reason why the sword doesn't come down on us is because God knew centuries later and he started weeping about it now that it's going to be his own son. And he's already thinking about that future day, that God can forgive a repentant person. Think about it. If you just repent, God can forgive you. And some people, I know people in New York, they're like, that's not That's not fair. Well, it isn't fair if, if, if there wasn't some payment, but Jesus became that sacrifice. The very place where Jesus gave up his power to serve us. He's the example of what worldly power should do. Real worldly power should give up power, right? Who could? He could have ruled the world. <laughs> Jesus could have ruled the world, but he could, he could have seized that power, but he gave up that power. He didn't use it for himself. He used it for others. And if you believe in him, if you take that into the very core of who you are, you can and you will do the same. And the question is, is will we? Will we give up our power? Well, some of us will say, well, I don't know if I can trust him. Right? I can only do that if I trust him, but how do I trust him? Well, listen, the reason why you can trust God is because, and the reason why you know that he will not abuse your honesty, that's right? one of the questions, we, if we really were open is we see Jesus giving up his power first. So it allows us to do the same. It allows us to to give up ours. When you believe, like David, who was deeply flawed, but deeply saved by grace, despite his failures, when that becomes the bedrock of your identity, guess what ends up happening? The need to cover up, the need to hide, to shade, to spin. Lessons. Right, the need to even run from yourself lessens. You're actually more comfortable to admit. And the more you can admit, the more you can run to his grace. And the more that you can run to his grace, the more you don't have to hold on to your own power. Guess what? That's why you can give it away. That's why I'm, I'm desperate for this congregation to get this. Because we can't even start talking about what it might look like until we're willing and comfortable to sit in his space to let his mercies flow down on top of us, to let his grace flow And you can only ever feel and experience that if you're willing to say, I need it, and you don't know you need it until you admit it, and you can't admit it until you know that he's good, and you know he's good because of what Jesus did on the cross. You used to get power by getting stuff. Now you, when you give up power, when you admit your flaws, you get more of him. And the more of his grace, the more of his joy, and the more of his joy, to be honest... That's all you need. At the end of the day, folks, forgiven people forgive. People filled with grace give grace. And you know that you're really resting in grace when you can give that up, when you can work for reconciliation, when you become less prickly, you become less offended at things, less needy to extract the payment back from the people who hurt you. That's how we'll know. Again, another reason why we have to get this is we're going to be people of reconciliation if we 're going to be people of change you're not going to be able to do that unless you're filled with what he's already given you you're going to have to take and justice turns into vengeance i don't I'm desperate that that's not the case for us. This only happens if we come to him and trust him and if you repent and are honest with him this is a God who cries friends he's weeping before we even knew really what he was weeping about the sin and brokenness of death but then does something about it. When you're released from your sin, you can release others. The way to reconciliation in this land, the way to even begin to pick up the pieces is to deal with our own idolatry first through repentance. But then you can give that forgiveness right back out to others for their idolatry. We're gonna have to rebuild Redeemer Lincoln Square after a pandemic. We're we're almost sort of starting over. I'd like for us to begin by not ignoring the sin and the hurt and the brokenness that's out there. We come here because we know what to do about it. As we approach communion for the very first time in a long time, I would like for you to sit in this space of the promises given to us and the promises we give back to him. Let's drink and eat of these promises together. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a good word, but it's a, it's a hard one, particularly after the week we've had. And yet your, your text is throughout all time, and so we, we came to this text today. It's the text that we needed. Father, I don't like to look inside. I don't want to go inside because I don't like what I see. When you, you define sin not as just bad things, but just anything we've made too important, well, then we can, all of us in this room can say, yep. What are those things for us? And, how, and help us to see how they're, they're not enough, and they're, they eat at us, and they, they lead to more breakdown and less flourishing. Help us to admit and repent and apologize so that we can sit and say, you are my Savior. And then once we have that security, once we see that individually and corporately, Let that light of flame in our hearts that just drives us and propels us out into a town, into a city, into a country that's fraying. Help us to be salt and light. Salt is a preservative. It keeps things from falling apart. Light is truth as it reveals. But help us to do it in a context, Father, that rebuilds and that doesn't just tear down. That's what our church can offer, Father it's countercultural it's counterintuitive but it's because the core of who we are is is a counterintuitive god who you get all power father because you gave it all up i pray we will be the same type of people amen
0: thanks for tuning in to our church podcast we pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of christianity and growing in your faith we hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.